Welcome to Affect Autism. We are back this week. Again, we cover the developmental individual differences relationship-based model of Dr. Stanley Greenspan. And we have with us a returning guest, Virginia Spielman, who's an occupational therapist, currently working on her registration in Colorado. At, and she's associate director at the Star Institute for Sensory Processing Disorder, a DIR expert training leader, consultant with ICDL, and she is here to talk about something that is of great meaning to me, which is cause and effect play, um, specifically and more generally, parents who are concerned when they they don't seem to see developmental progress in their child's play, their child with autism or developmental challenges. And we had a conversation in um, my Supporting Floor Time Families group with ICDL. Virginia was a guest in that uh, support group and I brought this up. I said, I'm concerned because my son's been doing cause and effect play for four years and he's moving through the developmental milestones, uh, you know, slowly and, but, but surely he's working in the fourth functional emotional developmental capacity and I'm waiting and waiting just like I was for him to get from three to four. He's now fully in four. I'm waiting for him to move forward into five with symbolic play and imaginary play. And is it ever, ever gonna come? And um, Virginia had some wonderful feedback for me. So I thought this is great. Let's share that with the Affect Autism audience and talk about some of the developmental stages that our children go through around play. So welcome, Virginia. Welcome back. Hey. Love being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And it was such a great conversation that we had um, that, that sort of has led to this. So I'm excited to talk about this today. Absolutely. Um, and I guess the best way to set this up is to just describe in a little bit more detail what I just said, which is, mm -hmm. you know, um, our son now has pretty, pretty good regulation, which is our first developmental capacity. Like many children, he has a lot of challenges with regulation. And if you guys tune back to our podcast from March the 12th. We talked about sensory lifestyle and I encourage everybody to go back and look at that blog. We talked about how to keep our children regulated throughout the day. So my son has all of those challenges and it, it, it will always be a challenge um, keeping that regulation, but he gets great engagement. He gets great back and forth uh, communication, gestural, nonverbal and verbal and he's working in that fourth developmental capacity now where he has lots of back and forth exchanges, lots of circles of communication back and forth. He is socially problem solving. He's noticing his peers. He's starting to understand a little bit about what's going on with another person. What do I see um, what, when I see another child who's upset or happy or sad? So um, my concern was, why Why am I not yet seeing a lot of imaginary play? Now, I will say, Virginia, that was only a month ago. Guess what we've been seeing in the last few weeks? I'm gonna get all verklempt and teary-eyed. He's starting to do some imaginary play. I couldn't believe, I can't believe it. It's, it's 
It's amazing. It's amazing. So that's for another topic. But <laughs> back on this topic, um, you know, I was concerned. I said he um, still loves to knock down toys. His latest thing is putting all the toys behind the bed. And let me just break and share my screen to a video uh, that I can share with our viewers, if I can find it. Um, let's see if we can pull up a video. I have way too many windows open of what I'm talking about here. Oh boy, this this is frustrating that I can't find it. <laughs> was it the video you showed me last time? It is. Um, that was such a great video. You know what? I know what happened. Here it is. Okay, let and me just... It was just, interesting because uh, I think um, Lucas can see he's beginning to do symbolic play in this video, right? Didn't don't, Do I remember that correctly? Just oh. the very, very beginnings of it? I don't remember that, but... I'm we'll going to see here now if I can try this again. And it's just going to be like 10 seconds or so. Okay. Okay. Can you see my screen? I can. Okay. So this is our, our big bed in the basement, which eventually will be our son's bed. It's a bunk bed with a slide, and you can see a gazillion toys shoved behind there. Now, this part of the bed that we're looking through is supposed to be back against the wall, but my husband took it apart and moved it forward so that we can get back there to get all these toys. So let me just play this. You know, it's just 10 seconds. Look at all this stuff stuck way, way back. How in the world are we going to get all that stuff out? How in the world? A periscope. So he says, a periscope. <laughs> so. Getting symbolic. Okay, would it, explain what you mean. He's, an object is representing something it isn't, you know, it's, it's, it does look like a periscope, but it isn't literally a periscope. So he, he's showing you there. I'm ready to start with the symbolic play. Okay, um, it, is from, it is from his Paw Patrol Tower where they have this mm -hmm. periscope thing and he's seen the episode and... Okay, that's great. So, so um, I I was concerned. You know, why is he just throwing things uh, behind? And he let me give you a few more examples. So um, one day we're getting ready for dinner after school, and my husband opens up a, a beer or a cider or whatever it was, Strongbow, and puts it on the table, and goes off to the washroom or something and my son comes up to the table and I'm in the kitchen and I can see this happening in slow motion and my panic like no <laughs> and I'm like ah, 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 not 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 and he's slowly pushing the can pushing 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 and then knocks it over the table beer all over the floor I was like ah no <laughs> So um, the way I react to that is a whole other topic for a podcast because um, actually that is, that is going to be a podcast because I had quite an interesting conversation with Maude LaRue about all the different ways to respond to that. But sticking on topic, which is so hard for me to do, it seems today, <laughs> he knocked the beer over. 
And what else does he do? My husband has coffee in the morning. He loves to put his little figurine toys and bloop right into the coffee. Or we'll be at the restaurant and they give crayons. And we, we usually just say no, no, because he would just whip the crayons across the restaurant or at the next person's table, or he likes to break them in half or um, roll them along or stick them into things and drop them in the water. And now he's interested in uh, spelling, so he wants us to write the names of words. So we're, we've been using crayons again, but every now and then, bloop, there it goes into the water. So things like this can be a real pain in the butt because especially if you're out in public and he's knocking things over, or if you're at somebody's house and he spills over their drink. Um, and when I saw him playing behind the bed like that, I thought, oh, this is not really functional to just throw a million things behind the bed and it's so hard to get all these toys out. Um, and um, I guess this is where you can come in and describe yeah. things because... Yeah. Um, and and and, and yeah. you can you can let me know when to show a video I have queued up from about four or five years ago of him okay. doing cause and effect play. So you can let me know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many things. There's so many thoughts I have as I hear you describing his play, um, and I'm going to just try and not lose them. So I'm making some scribbles so that we can try and cover everything. I mean, one of the things that you said is that it doesn't feel functional. And um, what, you're, what you're describing to me is a little scientist <laughs> who is exploring his world with, he's exper using experiments and he's looking for the outcomes and he's recording his data. And um, so that in itself is very, very functional. This is that, you know, um, if you think about, he's exploring the properties of objects. So he's really thinking about, you know, um, something liquid changes, changes, if, you know, and, and you, this, this solid can, I tip it off the edge of the thing and then liquid comes out and look, look at what happens. And when I put the figure and the coffee, there's different properties to objects and things he's exploring about volume. So he's getting ready for some numeracy and pre-numeracy skills he's learning about visual spatial relationships um so that's not just feeding into his pre-academics but he's also it's also feeding into his motor planning ability because when you're learning about object properties you're learning about all the possibilities that the environment affords you in movement and in play and in responding to things, um, making a plan. So that very first piece of making a plan where you look around you and you say, you can see that there's you know, 50 different things you could do with that chair or with that can of drink or, you know, so he's, he's got, he's getting some pre-academics in, he's getting some, some, uh, what we call object affordances in, he's getting some visual spatial in so that when he's moving his body around, he can understand depth and spatial relationships and this many things will fit in here, mass. Um, I can fit my body inside this space. I can fit this. When I put this man in the liquid, the liquid moves up. Such great experimentation. <laughs> and really fun to hear about your little scientist, mostly because I don't have to clean up the can of drink that's on the floor, <laughs> right? Um, well, I love that. I love that you said that because now I'm thinking about all the different things he puts behind the bed. 
and some of them are really light and some of them are heavy some of them are bigger um, and you know some are soft some are hard and he's doing all of those things and i yeah. am not thinking of that when i'm saying no, 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 don't throw this behind the bed. You can throw these things. These are okay, but these are too hard and it might scratch something or whatever. And, and he's like, yeah, whatever, mom. And, you know, just putting all the different things. I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind that they're going to fall differently and they're going to make different sounds. Some are going to squish in and, and that's fascinating, you know, like this is the same size as this, but because this is soft, it fits into the space differently. And because this is hard, maybe it doesn't or it gets stuck or, you know, so I wonder, wow, let's, you know, I wonder what would happen if we drop these things behind the, cat, the, the bed. I wonder what would happen um, if you brought him some toys and you had the idea, you know? I just would be fascinated to see if he'd be like, wow, you know, let's do this experiment. So and the other thing that might be functional about this play is what we were talking about earlier, just that it might be kind of his version of knitting or doing a puzzle or, um, you know, these adult coloring books that I've never actually met anyone who enjoys using. But, you know, <laughs> that, that idea of doing an activity to help get your thoughts in order, to be regulated, to be calm. You know, so in a sense, maybe this is his version of, of that. This is, this is where he gets order from this experiment that seems maybe a little bit repetitive, might be providing him with a very functional um, time for letting his thoughts of the day kind of, you know, get into place and processing the stuff that's happened. So whereas my husband might l need that cup of coffee in the morning to function, or he likes to take that bath to just wind down yeah. and just everything. Our son um, is doing this more chaotic, knocking things over to help regulate himself and organize himself. It could be. Could be. One, hypo one hypothesis is, you know, why, why is this behavior happening? And, you know, when behavior, when, when what we call behavior, you know, the manifestation of something inside, um, you know, we're, we're asking why it's happening. We're looking at, is it communication or is it a sign of regulation or is it a way of getting regulated? And we're, we're putting on our detective glasses and finding out these different things. But certainly it sounds to me like, um, there's a there is so much data that he's getting from these you know uh cause and effect type type activities now isn't it wonderful parents out there listening to think of your child as a little scientist collecting data as opposed to um uh nuisance behavior making a mess because that really is about changing our expectations, like we talked about in the Sensory Lifestyle podcast we did a few weeks ago. It really is about changing our expectations and, and really what we talk about in floor time, attuning to the moment, staying in the moment, attuning to the child, and really in, like letting go of our expectations and what we think should happen and our direction um, and really seeing what's happening in the moment and look at what my child's doing. What is the reason he's doing it? Why is he, what is he getting out of it? Um, as opposed to our preconceived notions that this is a dysfunctional behavior, it's making a mess, 
who's going to mm-hmm. clean it up, worrying about every possible <laughs> other thing, and really just taking a step back and like, oh, look at that little scientist in action. <laughs> yeah, and then maybe you can get the baby bath that you don't use anymore, put it next to the kitchen counter and knock drinks off and see what <laughs> happens. You know, maybe maybe there's a way of saying, I love that experiment, but let's do it without ruining the house. Yeah, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up again because you mentioned that before and about... Um, why don't you start bringing him toys? Like, try this toy throw behind the bed. And this is really about making it into a floor time, interactive play session with your child. So forgetting about my, oh, I like things neat and tidy and I can't stand this not being in its place. You know what? Let that all go. Be in the moment with your child. And I love that. Like, oh my goodness, I think we're going to try that. Put the big container out in front. Let's knock over all the drinks, except maybe not the glass containers. Um, right. Let's find all the plastic cups. And and... lids on the drink and see how. And that's really about joining, isn't it? It's about saying, I see you. You have great ideas. And I recognize that. And I see you. Let's let you teach me something right now. Let's learn about the world together. And, and then you get to hit so many of the capacities at once, but you get, you know, you get lovely capacity, you get lovely uh, engagement and just joining. And then, and I think also for me, there's this sense that we're really, we're really comfortable now because of the voices of self-advocates, because of interpersonal neurobiology and the research, the neuroscience coming together with the developmental models, that one of our ultimate goals for our young people is really that they can just be their authentic selves in the world and that they are part of the world because it makes sense and it's enjoyable for them. And then when we join them in these experiments that they're doing they're able to see that i can be me i can i we can have fun together this is worth a little bit of extra effort because the joy far outweighs outweighs the challenge of explaining to mom don't knock it this way knock it that way you know and those different things and so for me that joining piece can be really challenging as a parent but can, you know is is super worthwhile and it feeds directly into that you know we're not trying to normalize our children we're trying to help them be their authentic selves and and that shift that's happening recently and uh, it, you know just it just resonates with with this way of supporting our young people and i really like that term too because um we've talked about dir floor time being about bringing out your child's highest potential. And we're sort of reframing that now because self-advocates are saying, what's the highest potential? Mm -hmm. Who's defining that highest potential? Are you defining it? Are you trying to bring them to a norm? And no, that's not what we mean. And I love the way you say, bring out their authentic selves and let my child be who he is, which is a little mover and a shaker who's stirring up trouble in the eyes of, you know, the stereotypical disciplining type parent he's going to stir up trouble all day long and if you're going to constantly be worried about that you're just going to be forcing discipline and compliance till you're blue in the face and instead how much richer and more joyful joyful will every day be with your child when you are providing an outlet for them to be who they are and doing this fun floor time activity where you know you don't just have to do this by yourself all the time 
because he wants to play with us. He's mm-hmm. always saying, Mama, come play. Dada, come play. So he'll get to do this with us in an interactive way, in a floor time um, play way. And then maybe he would be less likely to do things like spill dad's beer on the floor because he knows, well, let's do it the way we did it yesterday. And he might request that game again. And usually we say, oh, that's a new game. And then he says, I want to play the such and such game that whatever we've named it. Nice. I like it. Just um, really providing those opportunities. Um, Yeah. And and also helping him see that the, there's a time and a place, you know. I'm not going to knock my friend's drink over or my dad's drink over or my playmate's drink over because I can find a way of doing this. In fact, it's even more enjoyable. And helping him to express and execute his ideas with as little effort as possible so that all of that energy and all of those resources can go more towards the engagement and the connection piece. And then everyone's more satisfied. Yeah, and I mean, he still has a lot of challenges with impulsivity, and um, that will so- that will come as as development happens. And we've already seen such an improvement. So, the one point I really liked that you had brought up when we first discussed this in the the online support group um, a month or two ago that I wanted to bring to the listeners was that um, a few years ago we would be somewhere and and he would literally just knock down the cups or in a restaurant, he would knock over someone's water or coffee and it'd be frustrating. It'd be inappropriate. And, and now we're seeing that moving it slowly, checking what mama's seeing, like checking in with me and then knocking it over. So it's a lot less impulsive. It's very methodical and he's, thinking about what's happening. He's really thinking about not only how is this going to work, but I have the patience to wait until I push it as opposed to just doing it immediately, which he, he wouldn't have been able to do a few years ago. And even similarly, um, his cause and effect play that used to be very impulsive and, um, has, and with objects has moved to people. So about a year or so ago, he was starting to really be interested in emotional reactions of other people. So he would mm-hmm. hit his dad and, and he would see, he would see my, my husband happens to be clumsy. So he bumps into things or whatever and says, ow. And he thinks that's hilarious. Our little guy laughs, laughs, dada bumped. So then he tries to hit him because he wants to see that ow. And he doesn't understand that it's inappropriate to hit. Um, So, you know, of course, we try the discipline thing like, no, we don't hit people. And so then what does he do next time? No, don't hit. No, don't hit. So he just repeats what you're not supposed to do, but he can't stop himself from doing it. Mm -hmm. And then we started to hear at school that he was, you know, hitting the friends or stomping on people's feet. And he wants to see them go ow or watch them cry. And and it's not malicious it's completely innocent and his intense that's why i i don't like the whole discipline thing about it you certainly can't let him go around hitting people but understanding that his intent is not to be malicious and hurt people but he's really looking for that cause and effect with people now as opposed to objects so that was a a step forward as well yeah and i think we talked about 
that idea that cause and effect, although it's something that sort of starts very early in the first six months, maybe around six months of life, that it that there's a development of cause and effect activities that takes place. And you're describing now the how it goes into the social domain. And really cause and effect is something we're still learning as as adults when we think about it. You know, when I talk to my colleague this way, she responds well to me. And when I talk to her this way, I don't get anywhere, right? <laughs> that, you know, okay, there's some cause and effect, there's some patterns there that I'm looking for and that's a big part of what cause and effect is is this really really important skill of identifying patterns and and as well as all these other things that we've talked about and, and as we start to unpack it we realize how layered this skill is what one of the things we did last time was we sort of drew out a little um, almost a developmental chart. And we're making this up a bit as we go along, but maybe we'll do that again today because it was it was quite fun and helpful to think about. What do you think? It, yes, and it, it really made a world of difference for me as a parent and I think will help other parents too to see that what seems like stagnancy in our children because their developmental path is so different than neurotypical children is not stagnancy it is development it's just at a different pace and it's on a different um trajectory right and i figured out how to draw a triangle last time all so right <laughs> i mean and i think that i'm not gonna be able to do it i think that the thing that's so interesting about this idea of there being a development to cause and effect is that that's not as good as i did last time but is is that what we're not looking for is our children to follow a specific trajectory we're not really we're not imposing neuronormative developmental goals on our young people but what we're saying is that we can see that there are layers of complexity being added and we can see that, that there's development in so many different domains through what's typically labeled cause and effect play that actually spending time in cause and effect is highly beneficial. And we're recognizing that and we're saying, okay, I see that this is really helpful for this young person and actually I'm gonna support it. Um, yeah, and, and while you're starting to get this diagram going, I just want to point out um, as well to the listeners to refer back to my blog and podcast with Dr. Gil Tippy on foundation academics because uh, we really are so concerned about our children meeting, um, you know, academic goals as well, especially when they're in public school. And Dr. Tippy says, wouldn't it be nice if there were a lot of different alternative schools out there that can support our children developmentally but they just don't really exist yet um, aside from a handful in North America it, it's really um, the curriculum is set and your children you know learn reading and math and this and that but you know what a lot of our kids aren't ready for that yet because they're still working on these foundational capacities which Dr. Tippy coined foundation academics and these are the early functional emotional developmental capacities outlined in um, the DIR model 
that really um, there's stages that all human beings uh, go through to get to a place where you're ready for mm. logical, like the logical thinking and that that comes at the sixth developmental capacity is is really a precursor to going into the comprehension that you're going to need to understand books that you read as opposed to the mechanics of reading. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what you're talking about here with the cause and effect is really, you mentioned it earlier, is, is working on numeracy. So this is a precursor to mathematics, understanding right. the visual spatial properties of things and, and, um, and what happens. And you mentioned about volume when he's throwing something in, the water goes up and right. And, and not only is he, is he, you know, he used to just throw objects everywhere. Well, now he's also exploring. So he has a bowl of rice and he loves burying all the toys. And then he loves, um, in the bathtub, he loves doing stuff, covering them with soap. Uh, we have these suction cup toys that stick on the wall, Thomas and Paw Patrol, and he loves putting bubbles on them and watching the bubbles drip down. And then he loves washing off the bubbles with the shower head and then playing in the sink same thing in a big bowl of water and pouring the water in and and then watching so he's exploring with all these different properties now too and um at school they do it with paints and shaving cream and all these other substances too so it's it's not just that standard knocking things over and whipping things everywhere and clearing off the shelves when i get into um the playroom of where I have therapy because I don't know what to do with the toys. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and learning. So learning all those pieces of of that contribute to our ability to make a motor plan, a novel motor plan, is is uh, that's a big part of what's going on. Um, I, you know, and so I'm just thinking as you're talking about the sort of the way that cause and effect goes. Can you see the the whiteboard? Yes. Great. So, you know, what I think what we classically refer to as cause and effect is is this first one here. I drop it and my parents give it back to me, right? The the child dropping things off the high chair or whatever. Mm-hmm. And but actually when we think about what's happening, there's all these different sensory properties to what's happening and there's a social piece that's hilarious. My parents mm-hmm. give it back to me 100 times. Um <laughs> And then they tried to tell me to stop, but how can I possibly stop because it's so fun and I'm getting so much information. Um, but then, you know, we start hitting things and then we get these toys that bounce back or they just tip over or towers that fall over and crash and that's very satisfying. And we might not have built the tower. So then we get another social experience, which is that um, this the, the child who has built the tower gets laughs or gets mad at us or cries and then all the parents get involved um and that's very powerful i might try that again i managed to get the whole room to stop (laughs) um and i'm not quite sure what's going on here so i'm going to do that a few times because i'm a scientist i'm going to test my hypothesis um so there's the sensory properties of cause and effect there's the social properties of cause and effect which we never really stop learning and that sort of becomes uh, or contributes to developing theory of mind um, as we go on with our cause and effect experiments uh, as we go through life. And then you also talked about putting things under the bubbles, burying things in rice. Mm-hmm. And so we've got object permanence as part of cause and effect play. And that's really important. And I think I spelled that right. 
um, you know, so object permanence can be, um, it can be sensory, uh, and it, but it can also be social. A person goes away and they come back. When I make this noise, mom goes underneath the chair, whoa, she's disappeared, and then she comes back again. All these different things are really important parts. And, and about that object permanence, um, yeah. I used to not be able to leave my son at um, nursery school or school without him really absolutely melting down and being uh -huh. so upset and now it's like yeah whatever mom see you later he understands what's going to happen he's okay right. with the fact that yeah. i'm going out and he knows i'll be back um, so that's changed a lot and the other thing that i wanted to say about that is dr tippy says that hide and seek is the best game ever invented because it really works on um, this and you can do it through a different different stages because you can be playing hide and seek where you're just hiding behind your hands and then you can hide behind the couch two feet away and then you can hide behind the wall four feet away and then you can actually go in a different room and be uh -huh. behind a door and then you can actually you can continue to go farther and farther away till the child gets more used to that because you know early on if i had gone in another room and shut the door that's it you know my my little guy used to literally scream and bang on the door while i was taking a shower the whole time i took a shower it was so traumatizing for me to take a shower because he'd be screaming his head off and by working on um the hide and seek at different stages it's like that gil tippy says foot on the gas and brake at the same time. You know, you don't want them to get that catastrophic meltdown. You want to work in their comfort zone, but just stretch it a little bit. So they're a little bit challenged, like, oh, I'm a little concerned, I can't see my mom, but I can mm -hmm. hear her, so I know she's close. And right. then when they're okay with that, a little bit further away, a little bit further away. So really making it playful and fun, but, you know, um, coming back and saying, here I am before they lose it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, so hide and see, sort of peekaboo mm -hmm. is, is maybe maybe needs to go in here, but you know these are sort of object permanence social cause and effect games that we're talking about here, um, and they make such a difference, and they eventually become conversations, but really this is still cause and effect. But where we're saying so so mom. You know, you went to the store, where did you park? What did you do? I need to know all the details of where you were because I'm building that visual map of where you go. And I'm realizing the world is bigger than just what I see and where I am in that current time. And so this, this just keeps going, this kind of play and concept building that we're talking about um, and pattern recognition, which is just, again, these things just keep going. And so when we think our, our, our kiddos are stuck in in, in a sort of a developmental stage, often we can, we can, if we look closer and dig deeper, we can identify that there are nuances to the play and incrementally their data bank is getting bigger. And it might not be in this beautiful straight line that we are hoping for. It might be, um, you know, that their trajectory is different and they might be working up here on um, response inhibition, in fact, they probably are on executive functions at the same time as they're working on um, 
the sensory the sensory motor properties of objects um, which we identified earlier so that's really that's really an important so we call that object affordances what what the properties of the things around me in my environment um, and so their trajectory is different right but it's but that the cause and effect play itself although it might be difficult to map the direction it's going in it's the data the data bank is building and we're organizing the data that we find so that we can be these active social agents who respond to the world adaptively who are able to respond to the challenge in front of us without a great deal of effort and in a way where they can express themselves um, effectively in their response with their own ideas and and that kind of sense of self-agency is what we're really hoping to develop and I just see that as we have this conversation about how cause and effect play develops um, and how the benefits of all the different ways that we can engage in this type of play. So you said something that made me think of um, a child that I know whose mother would love to hear your thoughts on this. This little guy um, who's older than my son, he, every time he sees me, he needs to come up and ask about all the rooms in my house and what's where. And, and right. he, he says, um, how many rooms do you have? How many, um, how many closets do you have? Where's this? Where's that? And he wants to know every detail. And then one day, um, grandpa was there and he said, where do you live? What floor do you live on? Where's your parking spot? What? And he wants to know every detail and he categorizes these things in his mind. And then you'll see him a year later and he'll remember and he'll, he'll ask you more about it. It's like, I, I didn't get enough information. I need to know that little bit more. Right. And he wants you to understand that, um, map of the world that, um, and, and he's a details person, it sounds like, so he really likes to know um, everything that's going on and probably there's an aspect of regulation to that, that when you confirm that his map is correct or when his map's missing a bit of data, he might feel a little bit anxious and he might need to get that data um, so that he can make sure his map is complete, but also he's building that visualization capacity, that ability to see that there are multiple things going on at once. So this is a higher, this is a, I don't even know which which FBDC I'd put that in, but it's very, it's building bridges. It's it's um it's it's very logical, um, and it's filling up the gaps, and it's it's you know so you might at the same time try and really celebrate and stay in places where he's okay with not knowing about things, but not push him in that area. Mm -hmm. Allow him to build that map. Allow him to get all that data. Um, and so, you know, he's he's working on that object permanence piece and that map of the world and his ability to mentally visualize things. And it sounds like it sounds like a lovely place for him to be and an important place for him to be right now. He also wants to know exactly what route you took, which highways and streets you drove on to get to where we are. And and I wonder if he wants to make sure that you were being efficient with your. Uh... <laughs> With your with your um, route that you took, I'm never I'm not, and it makes my little one very anxious. But I sometimes <laughs> take the long way round because it's the way that I know. Um, 
Um, but they think, you know, these are great things for him to be exploring and thinking about and then thinking about how other people, you know, for example, I'm taking myself for an example, I might take a route that doesn't make a lot of sense to him, but because it helps me feel calm because I'm familiar with that route and I'm not very good with learning new directions. And then, then you start developing theory of mind when really what you're talking about is whether you turned right or left. So there's all sorts of lovely aspects to these types of uh, play that can seem quite repetitive. There's lots of benefits to them. And I think it takes a village to help unpack that and figure that out sometimes. But when we can do that together, it can help us as parents be regulated because that's, that's half of the battle sometimes. Right. Um, and there's a handful of things I want to try and cover before we finish. Um, you mentioned and, and we talked about a little bit, and I just want to highlight this for parents. So we might feel like um, things are not happening as quickly as we think they should, or, or we see our um, nephews and nieces developing along a certain way, and our child who's the same age is really not doing that yet. And so we feel this um, pressure. And I want to really want to highlight, which I think is clear by now, but just to, to really highlight that, yes, my son has been doing cause and effect play for four or five years, but his developmental path is different. And it is still progress and it, it's even it's moving a lot more slowly so depending on your child the developmental path is a slower path but that's not to say that in 10 or 15 years of course everybody's different we don't know where they'll be but they will have been so thorough in the development if we are working on these early fundamental and foundational capacities that are so necessary when they get to the place where these are solidified, like Dr. Tippy says, you can learn all of elementary and high school in three months if you really want to. The curriculum is not that challenging if you get to the point. It, don't worry about the fact that they're two years, four years, eight years behind academically because if you work on these foundational capacities, they're gonna get to a place where they will be able to understand the academics when you get yeah, there. academics will come often. I, I often think about um, a giraffe versus a human baby. So bear with me for a second. But, you know, a giraffe is born and, and hits those gross motor milestones pretty, pretty quickly. Um, they're walking before, you know, by, you know, you blink your eyes and they are functioning as part of the herd very early on. Um, they're not helpless. Um, then they don't, you know, they, they learn that the way that their tribe communicates really quickly, all of these things. But, but if, 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 if that's what quick development, um, is about it's about becoming a competent giraffe then that's not really what we want for our kids we want competent humans and you know einstein took ages to 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 lay down those basic milestones and we we rush our kids and and, and but we want them to be 
well-functioning humans. We're not looking for giraffes. And I know it sounds really silly, but just being comfortable with the fact that humans take time. And, and in, a, in a neurodiverse world, different humans take different lengths of time. But when those pieces are in place, and they're able to joyfully experience and understand the world, that the level of sophistication that our fellow humans are capable of achieving is incredible um, and, and it's, it's world changing. It can be earth shattering and, and we're not looking for little giraffes that just follow in a herd. We're looking for those people that, that really, uh, you know, authentically reach their full potential, right? And, and are able to make that contribution that they want to make because they're, that, you know, they're able to, to access all that wonderful real estate in the frontal lobe and, and, and think abstractly about the world and, and what, what needs to be improved um, and so on. And so I sort of bring it back down to what are, we, what are we looking for? Are we looking for giraffes or are we looking for these human beings that change the world? And then sometimes that just helps us to take a deep breath and go, yeah, you know what? This is taking a while, but let's see where we go with this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, are you okay uh, to stop sharing just for a second so I can share one little clip here and then I really want to bring it forward to um, till we close up here covering some of those things you have listed at the top. So now here will be the challenge again of me finding the thing that I want to share. Where is it? I see it here. Um, here we go. Okay. So this was my little guy. I want to say 2012 or 13. Oh, that's it's quite a long time ago. Um, was so absorbed in this activity. I love that. Oh, I miss that cute curly hair. <laughs> and cute long hair. <laughs> so that's pretty much done now. But um, yeah, to see that that was early on and right. to to now um, bring it forward, last summer we were at an intensive at, at Maud LaRue's clinic in Pennsylvania, and she said what she was seeing was that he's now really moving into that fourth capacity where he is exploring visual spatial so much more. He's, he still has motor planning challenges, but he now has this idea of, I wanna see something and I want to build it in front of me in three dimensions. So they were trying to build some kind of fort with those big pillow blocks. And he was bossing around the therapist, Miss Janine, get this, Miss Janine, do that. Because he wants to see this, this 3D fort, but he wasn't able to figure out how to necessarily do it himself. 
Although she thinks that he can, he's just a little bit anxious about trying. He, it's easier to ask someone else to do it for you. And he was really exploring, um, driving around on this little tricycle through the whole clinic, seeing if he could fit through the door and navigate. And so he's really working now on this visual spatial. We talked about the social stuff. We talked about how he moved from just objects and throwing to in rice and different substances. And it's all moving towards, I don't know if you want to share that diagram again. To, I don't know if I can. Is it, will it still be there? Oh. Uh, Let's see. <laughs> we, it might be a blank whiteboard. Oh, no, there it is. Look, how exciting. All right. So um, what we're moving towards in capacity for is theory of mind and my son is not there yet, but Maude LaRue says she sees him on the cusp. And so um, theory of mind and, and executive functioning and, and these types of things are still a little bit elusive to me. Do you want to just tie it all together and say where all of the stuff along the bottom of the um, screen works towards those upper things that you have written and describe a little bit about what they are? Um, theory of mind in a nutshell. I'll give it a go. I mean, I, as I was watching that beautiful video, he was sequencing beautifully, and that ma that made me think about motor planning again, which we haven't put on here. And and um, I think what we're seeing with cause and effect play in this discussion is that there is no one bucket for uh, a skill that's being developed. You know, and I think that's one of the things that we do, we, we still tend to do, even though we know it's not correct anymore, is we say that OT, oh, that's not what I want, OT occurs in this bucket and that's these skills. And then, um, you know, speech occurs in a different bucket and that's these particular skills um, and so on. But what we're saying is that as we, as we really understand what's happening in these different areas, that there isn't one, this isn't one domain that we're supporting, right? And then that really makes sense in the light of the question that you just asked, which is that um, these, these skills, in fact, it should include motor planning as well, of course, but you know, the, these skills that we've been talking about, it's really messy, <laughs> uh, they support the higher FEDCs, the ability to make decisions with knowing um, my internal moral compass, if you like, my sense of self, um, my concept of right and wrong and who I am. Uh, because I've experimented and experimented and experimented with the world. And there'll even be cause and effect play, which experiments with, and this is another really important point, but where we see our children experimenting with right and wrong and, and trying on wrong, wrong, things they've been told are wrong, trying them on for size to really establish if they agree with them or not, or what happens mm -hmm. up to these things. You know, these experiments are all, so there's a moral component to cause and effect play. And so this leads towards, um, I'm gonna put a nicer arrow there, the ability to make decisions, to have our own sense of right and wrong, um, and then understanding that when I do something to someone else, they have an experience that's different to my own, 
they might not enjoy it in the same way as me it might even remind them of something else it might make them feel anxious they might love it and think i'm hilariously funny um, but they have a different experience to my own and I'm starting to develop the theory of mind that my mind is separate from your mind is separate from your mind and then even I can think about multiple people at once um, and multiple causative factors at once and all the time I'm practicing response inhibition which is one of the executive functions and these are the this is the part of the brain right in the front of the frontal lobe um, that comes online um, last so if you have a brain it's this area here where, where you the majority of your executive functions come online so in your late 20s but we start actually practicing executive function skills with the beginning of our ability to move our, bod our body. So right at the beginning of cause and effect play and impulse control or response inhibition is one of those pieces. And there, that's a whole nother podcast probably to go into executive function into much more detail, but you can see how staying here, staying down here is so important, beneficial, multifaceted and nuanced for development up here that is robust. And, and when we understand that other people have experiences and we know who we are, like you said, the academic stuff is gonna come and it's gonna come pretty quickly in, in some cases. Yeah, and just to really drive the point home, this is not something that happens overnight. So a lot of parents are discouraged when they say, I told you, you don't hit this person. We don't do that and then it keeps happening. It might be that it takes that child a year to learn why, because that theory of mind isn't something you just teach and then you know it. That's not how development works and we're not doing a teach a skill, check it off, teach a skill, check it off. These are right. things that the child is working on and by playing for four or five years in cause and effect like my son has, he's exploring all of these things that will eventually lead to that, but it's not gonna be that one day, boom, a light bulb goes on and all of a sudden he understands whatever that, what theory of mind is. It's developing slowly. He's starting to understand that this child gets upset when I knock their snack over at snack time, but he's still done that for the last few months, but he's doing it less frequently. And now he's very concerned after it happens about his friend who's crying for the next half hour. He's really showing concern. So it's developing slowly, slowly, slowly. And I think that's so important because we tend to be such a disciplinary society that the parents assume that if I told you not to do that, that you have to listen. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. Right, and I think what we really want is children who listen because they understand why you're saying it, not because they robotically follow instructions. Absolutely, although a lot of people would seem to like that, but it's just not the way Actually human not beings... Really thought about it. Right, it's not how human beings work, and, and we certainly want our children to understand all of these things and have the patience. Uh, patience is a, is a big thing <laughs> with with uh, some of these behaviors. But I think 
understanding this, and I thank you so much for bringing this to us today because I think it'll help a lot of parents out there understand and have more compassion for what their children are going through and, and why they're doing the things they do, and then getting us excited that we can help them through this process and join them in this process and play and have fun. And maybe we'll do um, a couple of floor time sessions uh, um, demonstrating this and, and get your feedback in, in the future or something. <laughs> It's, it's always fun to talk to you. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. And if the listeners out there enjoyed it too, please go to affectautism.com and uh, click on the blog with Virginia Spielman and about cause and effect. And I will um, write up a summary of this and, and link to some of these things that we've talked about. And, um, and you can replay the podcast, et cetera, et cetera, and find links to some of the other blogs that, that I've done with other people talking about different aspects of all of this. <laughs> so thank you so much, Virginia. Thank you. And until next week, here's to affecting autism. <laughs>